Welcome to the Weldon Green Podcast, and good morning. Today, I'm going to bring you episode 194 of the Ask Weldon Show. We have a short, sweet show, or at least it was supposed to be short and sweet today, and ended up uh, pretty rambly on the first sentence, all aim and no brain, meaning, um, you know, like, what do you do if you have really good mechanics and you have pretty good knowledge, but when you get into the game, everything melts away and you end up making silly mistakes. How do you translate that kind of... uh, a kind of no, kind of no pressure uh, skill into these high pressure situations, and finally we get on the last question with this very philosophical bent. So, if you've ever been curious about human development and change, let's dig into it. Then, hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Talk to you in a sec. Good morning, and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode one hundred and ninety-four today. The show's title is Got Mechanics, but No Brain. Um, and basically, it's revolving around the question where this guy says, I have my mechanics. My coach says I'm amazing, but my brain goes to mush when I play. So how do I get good? Welcome to the show. My name is Weldon, and this is the show where you ask me questions about sports psychology, performance, esports psychology, relationships, nutrition, working out, whatever it is that fancies your tickles your fancy. Call it into the show. Call in questions to the show at audio, uh, in audio with anchor.fm slash Weldon Green. Go to that URL. I think you have to install the Anchor app. They have an iOS and an Android version. Then you can audio message me and send me your question. It gives you the chance to just pick up the phone to your ear and talk and records you for one minute. And it it processes your voice with their amazing uh, algorithm and turns you into what sounds like a an, like a radio host basically we have so many awesome questions coming through and people's voices sound like they're talking to these super expensive microphones and you get to sound really cool on air so check it out you might like the app anyway it's a kind of like a podcast discovery app uh it doesn't replace your podcast feed but it does have a lot of podcasters on the app who are producing their shows using it and then just publishing on there so make sure to check out anchor i'm not a sponsor or anything i just use it to do the questions for the show because it makes all of you sound awesome and also organizes all the questions for me in a web interface. Any other announcements? Um, yes, there's a second version of the show today. I think that this YouTube video will go out before I go live with that, but it's 8 or 9 a.m. sometime between there. LA time tomorrow. Just watch I Will Dominate stream on Twitch. And as soon as it ends, we're going to kick off the show and it's going to go live. So if you're catching this on YouTube and you want to come for the I Will Dominate show live and catch the pre and post show that will be on twitch.tv slash mindgameswelden sometime 8 or 9 a.m in the morning la time or in the evening in europe no other announcements let's jump into the first question then from justin the show starts now okay All aim and no brain. Here we go. Hey, Weldon. My coach says I should be in the high ranks of my game. He says I have the knowledge and aim to get there, but my brain turns into a potato when I play. What do I do to reach the high ranks? Thanks again. Okay, well, Justin, first of all, ignore your coach completely. Do not believe him, okay? Uh, And the reason is because if you have this self-belief like, I'm good enough why am I not there? It's only going to inhibit you. 
it's only going to prevent you from seeing where you need to improve your aim, for example, uh, or your knowledge, for example. And you're going to focus on this small problem, which is like the execution within the game and the decision making you're making in the game. Except that that's not a small problem. That is literally everything. Everything about a person's skill in the game is what they do in those situations because that shows how your brain is wired up. And if it's not wired up that way, the path of wiring it up that way is the path of progression through the sport. And so if you don't have that, you have nothing. It doesn't. You, you, the aim and the knowledge don't count. Knowledge counts for zilch, actually, um, until you turn it into uh, decision-making reflexes. Um Okay, it counts for like you don't need to hire a coach if you have the knowledge. Maybe you can coach yourself, but you still have to put in the same amount of time to deploy those skills into your decision-making reflexes as you would if a coach were doing it. Um, and then same pretty much with aim because aim is, de- is situation-dependent. If you have the aim in a certain situation, but you don't have the aim in another situation, it means you don't have the aim. It doesn't mean that you have it at one moment in time and then you lose it. It means you don't have it at all because you can't pull it out in that specific situation and so you need to train it there. And so I would consider yourself, consider this, yay, my genetic potential has what I need and yay, I have the knowledge, great. Put it in a box, lock it, throw away the key and never think about that again and put yourself mentally at zero. Be like, I got to climb this wall and open your mind and open your curiosity and take in every single piece of input you can for things you're doing wrong and and pretend that you have crap aim and pretend that you have crap knowledge and focus on like building those reflexes within the game. Okay, so how do you go about doing that? You need to find you need to find ways of of stepping outside yourself in the game, critically interrupting your thought process and like modifying your instincts and behaviors into better ones. Instincts and behaviors. So what are those? Instincts are like the the instinctive decisions you're making and behaviors, things like where you're aiming and why you're aiming there. So you're just kind of like pulling the trigger when you're looking at people instead of like specifically aiming for their head. Or you find yourself like running around one route and you're like, "Mm, why am I doing this route? And you analyze why and you try to figure it out like live in the game. You got to get that critical mental loop in the game so that you can improve the decisions and the um, and the and the attempts at aim that you do within the game, and you can bring in that skill that I'm talking about that you locked in a box that I don't want you to think about uh, anymore, uh, and bring that into your play. Okay. Um, now, how do you choose essentially what what you should do? Well, this is what you, your coach is good for. You basically want something that is better than what you're doing now by one step. And you want to deploy those skills or those decisions and start to start to try to do them every single time consistently until you build up the consistency in your play that uh, it happens automatically. So you want to move things from like, oh, I have to focus on this to, to oh, completely automatic. You need that in-game focus where you're trying to do it. And then you do that without fail. So then you need to do that drill and, until you're not failing to do it until you're not like just like slipping up and not thinking about it. And then you need to sleep. And then the automaticity comes. And then it becomes more and more automatic. And then that's part of your wheelhouse and you move on to the next skill. It's a skill building. You have to build these things all into skills in your muscles. Because unfortunately, the bad news, the good news, and the bad news that I have for you is that you are actually playing a motor-based sport. Even though it's an eSport, even though 
it heavily favors knowledge and, and information and and um you know small motor reflexes and these kinds of like and, and video game prowess and, and moving your thumbs even though it's so 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 small it's still predicated upon motor reflexes which means it's basically a sport which means it's very different from hearthstone okay or magic the gathering it essentially means that you have to train this portion of the brain the same way you would train in sport which is through volume it's the only way that you're going to get into the head uh, and, and train these motor complexes where you have a stimuli such as sight or sound and you have a reaction in your muscles and then, and then an output comes with like a shot or something like that. This is all volume training and the key to volume training is focus. You have to, this is why we invented drills, right? Is so that the person, the, the athlete doesn't have to focus. They can just do the same drill over and over and over and over again until it's automatic. Well, we don't have drills. Or maybe you do have drills in your sport. Maybe you're doing CSGO, so you can do a ton of drills. Um, but then you got to bring them into the game. So there's this transfer point when you got to get them from drill to live. And that is when you have to have incredible amounts of focus on that one skill and deploying it over and over and over again in the game. Forget everything else in the game. Don't care about winning. Don't care about your teammates. Don't care about any other skill you could practice. Only care about that one skill and getting it, packing it in as much as you can and only doing it right. Because every single time you do it wrong, you're like reinforcing that other pathway in your brain and you're trying to use the plasticity of your neurons to move, to shift your reflexes over like a little bit physically in your brain to where you have this new pathway, right? And that's where you want to be active. That's the thing you want to activate when the electricity fires and comes in from your eyes and says, go here, you know, and it's going to branch down a fork. And one of those forks is the one you, the bad skill that you had been doing up until yesterday and the other one is the new skill that you want to do now. How do you choose the right one? Well, first through focus, and then eventually it will automatically choose that one because it's bigger and stronger. Okay, so you got to get that moment when you are very critical about it. So cut everything else out of the game that you care about until you can focus on building in the skill that you are bringing over from your drills. That's how you do it. Okay, good luck. Thanks for the question. Next question from Ryan. Hi, well done, Ryan here. First of all, I'm training for the London Marathon in 2019. I find that when I'm at the gym training, when I remove external stimuli such as sounds through through music, I close my eyes to remove sight. I have more focus and generally can push myself through more diff- difficult points when my mind is telling me to stop. So my question is, when I'm running the London Marathon and training for it, is this something... I should keep up or should I be practicing mind mindfulness more? I am part part way through the Mac program in order to enable myself to push through without having to remove this external stimuli. Thank you. Okay, Ryan. Um this is a really interesting question in the way that it's put and although it's a question that I've had before, right? But in many in many different forms. But this is the most one of the most fun forms I've had it in. So first of all, thank you for this question. And let me summarize again so that you know if I got it right or wrong, so that you know how to like cage my answer. All right, so basically you're training for the marathon in the gym and you have to push through these these pain points and you're you're turning off the music and you're closing your eyes on the treadmill, I assume, or on the track or something. I'm assuming on the treadmill, so then you don't have to uh, you're not like turning or running into people or whatever. Um, and, and you're able to, to, to push through more barriers, uh, than when you have other distractions in place, such as music or when your eyes are open, etc. when you have external stimuli and you're wondering, is it bad that you have to 
turn off the music and close your eyes? Or should you be training yourself to do this because with everything going on? Because in the race, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to push through them, you know, live. Okay. Um, I don't think it matters that much. I think that you're pushing through barriers physically and you're training your muscles to handle this push. So however you can get through that barrier in the training is is acceptable. Um, because you're getting the training effect on your muscle, which is which is one of the most important parts of this. And, and sorry, the, you're not te- technically the muscle, it's technically the recruiter module in your brain, I believe, uh, that you're training to like trust this. Um, but anyway, uh, we don't we don't know if it's the muscle governor or the muscle that you're tra- well you're training the muscle ter- certainly in terms of cardiovascular health uh, and adaptation for the for the trauma, but um, certainly you're also training your governor or whatever regulator we use to like recruit muscles. Um, and so, what I think is that the act of recruiting yourself through fatigue in the race is so different from training that it's actually not possible to prepare for it. You're going to have environmental conditions. You're going to have um, the pressure of the race. You're going to have the crowds. You're going to have um, the other runners. You're going to have so many other things going on that the situation and the situation is going to be so different that your brain is going to be doing like a completely, uh, well, I, mean, I don't know how many marathons you've run, but you're going to have a, a experience of, you're going to have to learn how to put yourself through when you're live in a race. And you can only do that when you're live in a race, um, which is one of the reasons, by the way, that marathoners often set their best times after they learn the strategy of the race by doing races. So it, like people don't go out and win their first marathon, right? They go out and they run six, eight uh, marathons for like a couple years, uh, three, four years. Um, a lot of times we see peaks set at 30 to 33, which is about three to six years into the peak male uh, physique. So we have people hitting their peak speed and their their like physical capabilities and then at 26, right? And then they learn how to run the race by running the race over and over again um, with that body for like, you know, a couple years until they start to hit their peak. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking at like a 10-year marathon career, um, you know, I would say let's say you run one marathon a year. Um, You know, you're going to run six in six years. Then I would say like, hopefully by year six, you're going to start learning uh, how these same skills that you're talking about that you're deploying in the gym. Okay. But as far as the gym skill, I would say cultivate it to whatever extent you're capable of cultivating it in the gym. And if you're looking at trying to transition this kind of like ability to cope with and push through mental barriers in the race, you need to get more race-like conditions. So you shouldn't even worry about putting on music. So you're on a treadmill and you're like, no, I got to put on music to train myself. How is that anywhere close to running out on a street? Like it's not even comparable. So don't worry about it, right? Um, and you're not going to have music anyway in the um, in the race, uh, you know, except when you're running by speakers or something like that. So so yeah, think of it in terms of um, in terms of theater training. And I mean theater like, as in like war, right? So when you're training for like the Iraqi theater, it doesn't help you to train in a gym and it doesn't help you to train in a jungle. Um, It helps you if you train in like a mimicry of the environment as close as possible to that environment. 
Um, and so that's the kind of conditions you're looking for. If you want to, if you want to train kind of like the, your brain's ability to like learn how to push through in those stimulating environments. So what people normally do is they run 10 Ks or they run five Ks or they run races that they can actually physically recover from, um, which in, expose you to the same environment as the marathon and allow your brain to kind of exercise the same set of skills. That's what I'd recommend. Don't worry so much about closing your eyes and, and turning off music on the treadmill or on the track or whatever. Um, that'll give you, yeah, just optimize that kind of training setup in order to train your body. And for your mind, you're looking at the race strategy. You need the race. That's the only thing that'll train that. You need the race or you need a, a theater of the race. <clears throat> okay, thanks for the question. Last question from Mario, and before we jump into that, I'm going to promote my Mac program, which is an online video training program of 47 videos organized with seven modules. So like seven videos, of seven modules, essentially. So seven weeks, one a day. Uh, and in, the, in each single video is a lecture and then a seated mindfulness training, which is a meditation. I'm not going to lie. And this is the training program that I did with the pro teams that I was working with. So CLG, TSM, G2 a little bit. And it's the program that I try to create in video format to kind of reach out to the amateur crowd uh, or the crowd that wants to be able to train with me but doesn't doesn't necessarily have the opportunity uh, to kind of package up what it is that I do. And if you can extract the value from it, fantastic. And so far, the testimonials that I've gotten over the last six years of of working on this program and the last four years of selling this program have been very successful. Of course, I accept refunds. Um, so if you if the program is not for you and if you don't like it or if you get through it and you're like, nah, um, just hit me up and I give you your money back. But the amount of times that people have refunded it compared to the amount of times it has changed their lives, and I mean changed their lives. We're talking jobs got, relationships repaired, um, high, high, high ranks achieved in video games. Um, and many, many, many people who just straight up quit video games. That's one of the paradoxes of this program is depending on why you fundamentally play video games, whether it's a very healthy adaptation or not. I've had many people do the program and they were hoping to get a higher rank and it actually cured them of an addiction and they quit video games completely and did the thing that they really wanted to do with their life. Because what this program is designed for is to give you the discipline required to take action towards the thing that you want, the thing that you value in the long term. And for some people, that was rank, and they want to express themselves through climbing the ladder. And some of, and some of those people were able to climb the ladder due to the focus and the training skills within this program. And other people, turns out, didn't want that. Turns out they were using video games as escapism from the thing that they truly desperately desire, and this program unlocked that and, and enabled them to say no. And then they messaged me and said, thank you, I haven't played the video game in months, and I've, I've been working on this incredible piece of art or this incredible relationship or this incredible job that I'm doing. And, uh, and it worked. Um, or sometimes they thought it failed, and I got to tell them, actually, no, it worked. Uh, that's, that, that's you deploying the skills that you learned. Congratulations. Mindfulness, acceptance, and the commitment. Mindfulness being the awareness of what is driving you. Acceptance being the acceptance of all those chemicals and emotions and states which drive us but that we can't necessarily control. And then commitment is how it is that you modify your behavior towards the goals that you value versus um, just the emotions that, that are driving you. 
Okay, let's jump into the last question, guys. From Mario. Hi, Weldon. Hi. So I was wondering where and how change in oneself really begins. Because I do understand that mindfulness, meditation, uh, visualization, valuing, and all that jazz uh, takes a part in this. But I do believe that all of these are already actions that one takes after the fact that they have decided to really change oneself. Mm, so to sum it up, uh, is change random? Uh, hence the 80-20 Pareto principle. And how do we change anything? Where does it really start? Thank you, Weldon. So this could get pretty deep. And maybe I'll answer it in layers so that we get a fun answer at every single depth. But let's start with um, let's start with the top. Okay, change, and maybe this is the bottom too. Actually, if we go first, literal change happens when you actually, in my opinion, take action in the real world. So change does not happen mentally. It doesn't happen when you think about doing it. It doesn't happen when you want to do it. It doesn't happen when you contemplate it. It doesn't happen when you lay plans for it. It doesn't happen when you write it on your calendar. It happens when you actually do it. And it's not happening when you're not doing it. And so I think actions speak louder than words is a very great mantra to live by. And I think that um, I think that the, the flaw between how people act and how they want to act and how they think that they act uh, leads to a lot of pain in the world. Both pain in terms of like people not being able to forgive themselves for being worse person than they are, and also pain in terms of trying to cover up and inflate who it is that they actually are compared with who it is that they act like they are, or who their actions state that they are. So I think that that change is a is a is a physical process that is measurable in the world objectively. And other than that, I don't want to hear about it. Now, that's not really true on another level, okay? So let's go to the 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 mental site, the sports psychology level. We have this wonderful model of change of behavior called the trans-theoretical model of behavior change. And the trans-theoretical model of behavior change tries to amalgamate many different ideas of behavior change and look at the process and says basically people go through these these processes when they change, when they change behavior. And it goes like this, pre-contemplation, which is when you really don't even know that you have a problem. Then... Um, Oh, wait, actually, maybe that's called pre-awareness. Trans-theoretical model of change. <coughs> um, I have no internet connection, and yet I'm streaming. Oh, holy crap. I don't have an internet connection. Okay, now I do have an internet connection. Apparently my, my stream died there for a second. Now it's back. Okay. Trans theoretical model of change. Okay, so we have, oh no, it is pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, right? So you have these these ideas that you kind of go through where you are, uh, where you don't even know that you have a problem. And then, um, sorry, I need to mod my chat here real quick. Uh, where you don't even know you have a problem. And then maybe you do, uh, maybe you, you are aware that you have a problem and you're trying to think about how to change it and you're preparing to change it and then you're taking action to change it and then you are um, maintaining that behavior, 
Okay, so we say that like your brain kind of goes through these these stages. Or we can look at it from the motivational angle. So there's a wonderful theory of motivation called self-determination theory, which embodies a lot of different like small theories of motivation, actually. Um, but it's predicated around uh, like ideas of autonomy and relatedness and competence. And so I think that in that model, you would say that the state, the, the, the change starts when you start um, like having increasing autonomy over your actions or when you, have start, when you start feeling or perceiving increasing competence over something and you reach this point when you are successfully changing um, and, you're, and you're happy with it and it has its own momentum and you don't need external motivation anymore. It's all internal motivation and you're driven towards it, right? Um, in, in a very like holistic way. So of course... That model is, I'm not excluding externally motivated change, which is, is externally motivated all the way through. What I'm saying is that if you're looking at like human endeavor and human change, then we want to look at internal motivation as well. What is What drives people to want to do these things by themselves? Um, and then I think that we could look at the, the religious level, right? Where you have like, you know, a seed of spiritual entity, and then you have a moral code or ethic that you're desiring to fulfill, and you fail and you rely on on yourself and this connection with this with the divine in order to kind of like um, spiritualize yourself and give you the power to say no to emotional impulses or no to like uh, things that you things that you need or do in order to like modify your thinking. And this process is incredibly internal, right? And cogitative, but then, then outpours these incredible acts that we really have no comparison with in in humanity. Like if you look at throughout human history, a lot of the things that were affected through religious change were some of the most some of the most amazing actions humans have ever taken. Right, like the ability to like uh, go to Japan and hold true to your faith. Um, or convert to Christianity as a Japanese person, even when you're going to be strung up, even when you know you're going to be strung up in the sea, uh, uh, you know, on a post until you die. And like these kinds of like internal, massive internal contemplative and spiritual changes that can occur that can result in like a very small action, like saying yes, when somebody asks if you're Christian, even though you know it's going to result in your death right? So we have this other view of change, which can be very, 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 very internal, and also very, very, very spiritual. Um, so I think that the answer to your question is, is so multi, multi-layered, um, and I don't really know at what angle I would answer it. I think it depends on the context. Um, and I'm not really sure what I believe about human change, like in then the cosmic level. What about the cosmic level? Well, I think we're going to change a lot when we turn back into stardust, and our planet explodes, and our sun explodes, and we turn back into the base elements of the universe, uh, and get like turned into a cloud of dust and gravity together into another cell, uh, st- stellar, stellar is that what? It, you know, like star body, uh, and then eventually like entropy out into nothing when the universe eventually cools to the zero point and dies. So, that'll be another change. That's the show today, guys. Glad to end on a high point, and uh, I'll see you all tomorrow. All right, that was the show for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you're going to check out the MAC program, 
mindgames.gg slash MAC. Use the code podcast, not the code AskWeld, and use the code podcast, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow.